Listener Production. Punchy, whacked, power, influence. Take me seriously because I've actually got some clout behind what I'm saying. Welcome to Women with Clout. <laughs> Jane, it was a couple of years ago I was watching the news and saw a remarkable woman in our parliament, Julia Banks, stand up and talk about the bullying and toxic behaviour in politics. And I was so impressed with her. She's got an amazing story. You know, first time candidate, wins a seat off the the opposition party after 18 years of it being held by Labor. Almost wins the government. In fact, wins the government for Malcolm Turnbull as Prime Minister because he held by one seat majority. So, wow, was she important. But did she get any credit for it, Catherine? (laughs) Well, it would seem if she ended up making a speech as she's about to leave politics about how she'd been treated and how poor that was, that she didn't. But we're about to hear a lot more about that now. Now, Julia, um, you've had such an interesting and varied career, but I believe at the moment uh, you're actually writing a book. Tell us a little bit about how that came about. Look, I've always loved the power of storytelling, um, particularly true stories and inside stories. So I um, I hope my aim for this book is that it's a, a useful resource for, particularly for women, aspiring to leadership positions and for women of all ages, because indeed... You know, I made a massive career change when I was in my 50s. So, um, and so it's it's told through storytelling. That's interesting that you say you've always been really interested in stories. Are you a big reader? Like, is that something you've done all your life? I am, look, I've always loved writing and reading. That's why I chose to go into, it was either going to be journalism or law for me. I loved um, debating and writing a position piece. So it ended up being law, obviously, but yeah, reading and, and writing, but the, the the power of the true story I've always really loved. And um, a lot of people have asked me, particularly in recent times, you know, what's it really like on the inside? And um, why did you make that change? You had a perfectly good career. Why did you go into politics? And so I thought, well, you know, that view from the inside is is something that I'd like to share. Since you brought it up. Yes. <laughs> that was a big shift, wasn't it? So could you tell us a little bit about that? Because you did you have a remarkably successful career in the corporate world. So it was quite a big jump, wasn't it? It was. It was indeed, Catherine. So I, um, look, I had worked in um, mainly predominantly as a corporate lawyer uh, for over 20 years in, in the blokey world of manufacturing. And um, I, you know, climbed the ranks during my career there. And um, a number of people think I've, I'd been involved in politics forever. I hadn't. I'd always been just a more a sort of um, observer of the political world. And I actually only joined a year before the, I was elected and it was, I thought, oh, you know, I'll join um, to engage in debates and see what it's like. Um, you know, I saw good, good, sensible centre people in the parties such as Malcolm Turnbull and Julie Bishop and I thought, yeah, I'll join the Liberal Party and then before I knew it I was asked to, by the Victorian group, uh, Victorian branch, they said, look, there's this 
there's pre-selections coming up. You won't win pre-selection, but it's a good way to, you know, get to know people. So I did and then, um, well, you won't win this seat. It's been with Labor for 18 years, but, um, yeah, the rest is history. <laughs> so. so they gave once again, as we see rather too often, I think, across all the parties, the woman a seat that no one expected her to win. It's interesting how often... Yeah. A woman surprises everyone yeah. and actually pulls it off. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it was absolutely the case. The, it, it's almost a cliche now, Jane, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, it was totally the case. Yeah, there was no expectation that I would win. And um, more than that, there was no expectation that I would win pre-selection because I hadn't been that yeah. career politician and, you know, there were many pre-selectors who treated me with suspicion, like she's come from the corporate world, like heaven forbid, who is this woman? Um, yeah, so it was... It's interesting, isn't it, because um, I was thinking back when um, the academics who came up with that idea of the glass cliff, um, some of the work they did, I remember they looked at quotas years ago in the UK and political party quotas. And when they first brought in, some of the parties brought in quotas, they, of course, made sure that they didn't have winnable seats. Uh, so they had to actually change the nature of the quota to ensure that women were nominated in winnable seats because, of course, what happens, it's human beings. We just game every kind of (laughs) system, you know, so that had to be part of it. Um, But, Julie, just wanted to ask you one of the things, and I remember you speaking about this uh, when you were still in Parliament, and you said you were really astonished by some of the behaviour, the rather toxic environment, the bullying and harassment, and you said you didn't think it would have happened so much so in the corporate world. And I wanted to ask you about that because I've spent most of my career, you know, reporting on and indeed being part of listed companies. So what was the big difference there, do you think? It was sort of nostalgic in a way. It was reminiscent of um, what the corporate world was like, certainly for for women, you know, in their 50s, I think, back in the you know, early 90s, late 80s, it was it was reminiscent of that. That's the best way I can describe it. It was sort of like it was stuck in time. Yeah. And it's interesting that you, you know, the discussion about quotas. So I've, like I have seen targets, and as, as I'm sure you have, Catherine, literally transform organisations in the corporate world where they, they seriously apply targets, change their leadership team. And it, it's not the panacea, but it, that gender equal leadership does change the culture. And, um, of course, the Labor Party have had huge success with quotas. And it's a pity that that's the reason for the resistance of quotas in the, in the Liberal Party because quotas are the only thing that will work in my view, that will create that, that will be that trigger to reset the balance. Um, and it's ironic that the, the one of the key triggers that made me think, yeah, I'll join the Liberal Party was because they were saying, certainly in Victoria, they need more women, they need mm. more women. So that was one of the key reasons I thought, yeah, you know, similar, you know, their principles and values. Um, individual enterprise, all of those things, I'll, I'll um, join. But then when I got in on the inside, the resistance to quotas is extraordinary. Do you know what's really interesting about what you're saying too is you were actually a star. You were the only person to win a seat from the opposition in that election. The government yeah. was elected by one seat. So in a way, you were yeah. the, you know, the winning 
candidate. Candidate. You know, you were yeah. really important. And yeah. yet you experienced that level of, um, well, I suppose disrespect is the politest way I can put it, yeah. um, particularly if you're thinking about throwing back to the 80s and 90s and I was certainly around in advertising agencies then and I know exactly what you're talking about. And um, it's a sort of sneering, disrespect, a, a putting down of, a patronising. Yeah. Everything you do that's good is regarded as a fluke. Everything they do that's good is regarded as they're a genius, they're a hero. My God, how yes. how amazing they are. Quite extraordinary. It really was. It was sort of, and again, um, when I won, you know, it, the, the facts spoke for themselves. It was the one seat that had been held by Labor for 18 years. You know, it was quite extraordinary afterwards. Um, mm. I was still in my corporate mode when I won and I fully expected that in the political world, because it was the only seat that we won from the opposition um, during the time, and it was a seat that had been held by Labor for so many years, I fully expected that I would be asked, what did I do differently to the others? Mm, yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> logically, the you would think so. After action review, okay, what was your secret sort of thing? <laughs> what did you do differently? But I was never asked that in any comprehensive manner. And um, I certainly believe that... The, the Mary Beard theory, that the more public a woman becomes, which m- might be aligned to the more successful a woman becomes, um, the more criticism she's going to receive. Or Yeah. But clearly it was a shock too, and, and, and you've pointed out many times this is not confined to one part of the political spectrum. We know that the behaviour and so on, but it was very... Um, I think brave is the right word when you stood up and called out some of that behaviour when you were still a sitting member. Talk us through a bit of that because I think that's such a hard thing to do, no matter where you are actually, what what sphere you are. Well, I thought, I, you know, through, throughout my term I had um, spoken out about my support for quotas and yep. you don't, you didn't actually see the eye rolls or the, <laughs> the um resistance to that. It wasn't visible. Um, But when I first announced that I wasn't going to recontest, I didn't follow the tradition. I did not want to be the cliche that what they wanted me to do was to delay it, to have distance between the coup and distance in terms of time. And they would have loved me to have just been that I'm I'm resigning for personal and family reasons. And this is when Scott Morrison took over the leadership of the Liberal Party. Yes, and and that's what he wanted. Um, and I said, you know, I tried to do the corporate thing and be very measured about it and said, no, I am going now. I'll tell you or tell my family, tell, you know, um, my staff and, and then the media. Um, they were none too pleased with that and you know when I think about it it was one line that I thought I'm going to explain the reasons for my my leaving and the reasons was basically it it had been a culture you know in my corporate life I'd worked in very blokey cultures but I'd seen those cultures transform this was quite extraordinary it was sort of an entrenched culture and I said in that first statement the the last week, which was the coup week, was the last straw. It wasn't like how they wanted to paint it, that I was this weak little 
being that couldn't hack a bit of, you know, <laughs> lobbying or whatever you call it. I had left an entrenched culture of anti-women behaviour and it reached peak toxicity during the coup week. But I said, you know, I'm, I'm out. Now, just by being honest in that statement, then came the reprisals, the retribution, the whispering campaigns against me, the backgrounding um, simply because I'd said it was basically a workplace culture I didn't want to be part of anymore, but I'll stick around. Um, but nonetheless, all of that happened between August and November. And that's when I thought, you know, if I'm to exit this place, I want to exit on my terms in a um, principled way and in an honest way. I knew this would, you know, be my last, well, I thought this would might be my last speech um, and I wanted it, it was really important to me for it to be recorded in Hansard that I thought I'm leaving, I, I am leaving um, as a result of everything that's happened with the, you know, right-wing media, self-proclaimed power brokers, all of, all of those reasons um, and the entrenched anti-women culture in this place so that it's not, as we've said, it's not confined to that moment in time or to that party and what's needed I wanted to say what's needed which is an independent parliamentary system for all people in parliament house not just for the MPs but for everyone in parliament house it's not a normal workplace culture and certainly the Liberal Party needs to take a lesson and uh, really seriously think about quotas in my view. Well, if you're talking about quotas for women in Parliament, presumably you still think it's a good idea for women to aspire to go into politics, despite your experience. Well, I do. I think it's important for for our society. I mean, I think where women are severely underrepresented in our federal parliament, you know, they can do their spin campaigns as much as they like, but in the House of Reps, you know, we're still. I think the stats are there's. 1,200 people in the history of Australia have been elected to the federal parliament, not those, only 132 are women. And uh, and that's despite the, you know, the major part, Labor Party being very good in their quota of women because of, because of their quotas. And I think, you know, an equal leadership team will create better policy, better outcomes. There's no doubt in, in my mind or in anyone's mind, it's been proven time and again, the business case has been made, you know, in the most important leadership um, group in our country, we don't have an equal mm. men and women. And that's been particularly evident. Uh, we're right in the middle, of course, of a, you know, shocking period as the rest of the world is uh, with, with coping with the pandemic. And, uh, you know, the federal government has, has been very proactive, but it's, struck many of us, um, Jane and I particularly, but a lot of the women I know, that, you know, there are very few women fronting the cameras when we hear about the latest program or the latest um, initiative, many of which have been very good. But it really, there have been many decisions that have also shown that lack of women around the decision-making table. So what do we need to do to actually change that? Because I don't, I don't feel as though that has shifted no, it, well, it hasn't shifted, Catherine. And and um, ironically, in my business life, I work predominantly in workplace culture and employment law, and in, in um, 
industrial relations and one of my biggest focus areas was um, corporate governance and risk and crisis management. And uh, I've seen firsthand how a gender equal leadership team can manage a crisis um, much better um, because there are different points of view, uh, there are different considerations. I mean, if we look at um, the coronavirus situation just very top line, the childcare decision absolutely just completely and utterly floored me, and it's almost like I, I think someone else described it this way: that the, the initial hairdressing decision yep. was almost like a caricature of, of other decisions that are, are so reflective of the fact that we don't have a gender equal leadership team. So the hairdressing decision, just to kind of remind everyone that, you know, you could have a half hour haircut and just about every woman in Australia rolled her eyes because that's not how long a haircut takes for a woman. Uh, But you're right. And while it's kind of funny and we laugh about it, I completely agree with you. It's reflective, a complete lack of women's import. Even worse though, they allowed hairdressers to remain open and they lengthened the amount of time that women could, when that was pointed out to them. It is absolutely phenomenal to me that the first group of workers you would take off, job seeker and job keeper, are childcare workers amongst the lowest paid in our community, 98% of them women, and it directly affects the ability of women to hold on to their jobs. And we know women have disproportionately lost their jobs in this situation. I'm sorry, Julia, I agree that, you know, we could say that perhaps, perhaps I'm too cynical these days that, you know, this is just an inability to see, it feels more and more to me like it is a refusal to see. When the decision first came out that, you know, universal free childcare, I thought, oh, wow, thank God. Yes, thank God. Absolutely. And that was the first to go and the double whammy, Jane. I just thought, oh, my God, here we go. You know, to hit women, to to turn the tap off to that group of all people, and then to um, not make available childcare to women who needed to go to work. And, you know, the whole thing about women are amongst the highest unemployed now that yep. generally the second um, income and the uh, casualised workforce, all of those things that just thought, oh, my God, there are so many ramifications. And it, it just it's just a large version of what I saw during my corporate life where a crisis will always expose gaps. It will always expose where the gaps are and you need to be able to fill those gaps um, appropriately. And I thought that's what had happened when the decision was first made about child, the good decision about child. Mm. Julie, can I ask you, because all of these things that you've been explaining and and indeed where we started with you talking about the story of being the insider and what you can learn from that, there are no silver bullets and we all know that, but it does strike me we've had, this has been an awful period to see, that lack of women's uh, input. When you think about uh, the time that you were uh, an insider, what sort of reflections have you had on maybe, um, as you you stood up, you, you called it out, what are some of the tactics you think that maybe can, can help us to get a shift around this? Because the evidence is there, as you mentioned. We have terrific Australian data, the latest stuff from the Workplace Gender Equality Agency, direct correlation between uh, diverse leadership and financial results. We actually have that information. Are there chinks? Are there areas that you think that can be worked away at to actually change some of the attitudes, the entrenched anti-women attitudes? 
Look, I think I've obviously thought long and hard about this. I think whilst it's not the panacea, Mm. absolutely the first thing that has to be done is to get gender equality in the parliament. Which is quotas. Yeah. Which is quotas. That's got to be the first thing. And and a lot of people had said that the government would have really given it serious thought if they'd lost the election. Well, that didn't happen. So we know that that's not going to happen anytime soon. And I mean, what we're dealing with now is a is a government which is a conservative government with a capital C. Mm. And I'm not sure that that change can happen within mm. our own environment. But I think that's why from the outside, it's really important for advocacy and uh, for the opposition and indeed the other members in the parliament, the independents, um, who have, oh, I have a strong affinity to, obviously, um, that to actually bring our parliament to that sensible centre position. Julia, you must get asked, I imagine, and I, I suspect you'll be addressing this in your book too, by younger women about, oh, gosh, given what you went through, why would why would I go there? What is your message to perhaps to younger women with talent and who can look, in fact, at a corporate career and think, look, I could go that way? Because it is, it is a big issue and women for election and a couple of other groups are really tackling this and good on them. Mm. But, gosh, it must be a bit off-putting to some very talented women who could be wonderful contributors to our parliament. Yeah, well, I'm sure I'm sure it is. And I, I'm sure that, you know, particularly with the onslaught of social media and all the negati- negativity that, that is being talked about more and more. But I think I really do believe the, um, the positives, uh, which are the positives of being a member of parliament, often the positives are not the things that are reported on. It's incredibly rewarding to um, support your community in big ways and small, um, to have that input on policy, to have that broader voice. Like I said, for example, I certainly would never, I didn't want it to be the way it was, but as it turned out, I did get quite a good share of voice in terms of my views on gender equality Mm. by the end. Um, Not that I planned it that way, but that's the way it, turned out. And I think for women, young women, like the thing I enjoyed the most, one of the things I really enjoyed was that sort of apolitical aspirational speech to young school groups, year 12s, particularly to groups of girls. I mean, I was the member in one of the most multicultural electorates in the country. And, um, you know, I'd see this sea of faces, which was a sort of microcosm of Australian society. And, you know, indeed, I'm of migrant heritage. And, I see these young girls and um, I think I I want these young women to be in parliament. I want them to Mm. be, just as it's a microcosm in my electorate, I want it to be that in our leadership positions. And I think the pathway to politics, you don't necessarily have to be a staffer or a union member or member of a major party. I mean, I was none of those things. But if you're strong about issues and advocate about policy issues and that opportunity presents itself and you you make the decisions around around that, you know, suiting to your personal circumstances, then I think um, 
we need more women to go for it because we need them there. Yeah. And now you're, you're going to continue on this path, aren't you? Because you're an advisor to Gender Equity Victoria. So you're going to presumably continue on with encouraging uh, women to, yeah. Yeah. And how do we how do we really address the really serious issues? I mean, there's no doubt that social media impact against women, I mean, and just the representation of women in public, women who have a public profile. It's quite, again, I refer to Mary Beard's book, you know, Western Western societies have been trying to silence women for centuries. Um, and and it has been by, you know, that gender stereotyping. And, and I think it's in many ways, it's whilst it's got better in in certain ways, in many ways, it's got worse in terms of the ease with which people are quite abusive. The gendered abuse on social media is is horrendous, and so we need to find mechanisms to address that. My my feeling about that has always been that it was bound to get worse before it got better. Yeah, that people when they feel they are losing their grip on power, that is when they become when you see the raw, true face. You know, uh, if you think about um, I don't know if you ever watch Yes Prime Minister or Yes Minister in the day, it's still on Fox. Still, I watch it as an indulgence every now and again. And Sir Humphrey always patronises the women in the office. Oh dear lady, it's such a pleasure to see you. Now they've dropped the dear lady. Yeah. And they are, the, the rawness of their wish for you to take your lesser place is being expressed directly. And whilst it's very painful and it's very difficult, yeah. my view is it's inevitable because it means we're making progress. Yeah. If they were still delaying us, yeah. we'd be back where we were in the 70s and 80s. Now they're calling us heinous bitches. Yeah. Way yeah. better, yeah. way better. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> taking yeah. it seriously. Yeah. That's so true, Jane. It's uh, someone said to me at, at a particularly low time when I was getting beaten up. You know, you you know you're on the right track, Julia, if you've got the right enemies, yeah. and it's so true. <laughs> it really, the more is. they hate you, the more effective you're being. I often say yeah. to people, and it's a really tough lesson. I think. Mm. Yeah. I think women. We all did. I know I did. We thought the logic. We'll, we'll, you know, they'll just see our point of view. They'll get it. They'll get it and they'll open the doors and they'll say, oh, ladies, we're so sorry. Here, have <laughs> half of everything we have. It's not going to be like that. <laughs> and um, I do think we have to be honest with young women that, you know, you will get uh, really strong pushback and it will be difficult and you experienced it directly. But that's why it's so important because you're actually winning when that happens. Which makes me want to ask Julia, you know, it was definite ups and downs. You you, you know, you won the seat, which was extraordinary, yeah. but then you had, you know, a very tumultuous time in many ways. I'm gathering no regrets from any of that. No, I would do it again. Like it was, it was a truly awesome experience um, in the sense of it was so different, for example, to what I'd done. I'd always been an advocate for gender and cultural equality throughout my career. And to have had that opportunity on that platform, um, even as a backbencher, was was an amazing experience and an amazing opportunity to just not, not just, you know, in the sort of national media per se, but in terms of going out in the community and being able to share those learnings and share that advocacy throughout um, my local electorate and um, more broadly as a as a federal parliamentarian it is an amazing amazing honor and experience to be 
uh, a member of our federal parliament. And uh, I think, you know, we need more women where decisions are made which affect us all. And mm. we've seen that so acutely during this coronavirus crisis um, around the world. And, uh, I mean, the research isn't determined yet, but you don't have to look much further than Jacinda Ardern to realise how gender equal leadership and a female leader can uh, bring a nation together. And I was going to say, I think, Julia, what you did was also act as a circuit breaker. I think there was something really important that happened when that those comments that you made where you drew attention to some of the really toxic cultural issues there was a really important point. And I remember looking at it and I remember the other women who were with you, standing with you, and I thought, this is one of those moments I think we will look back. I'm trying to be a bit, you know, grasp the 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 optimistic side of this, but also look back and think, actually, that was an important point where we called some of this, we started to call some yes. of this out. It's like the follow-on from Julia Gillard's yep. famous misogyny, I will not be lectured about sexism and misogyny by that man, not now, not ever, which has become a kind of iconic speech. And I just wanted to say to you, actually, and, and indeed to Julia Gillard and everyone else who's served as a woman in our parliament, it's an act of courage, mm. I think. And um, it's very important for us to see women in positions of power, not just of influence, but of power. And the parliament is where the power lies. And you took a lot of shit for doing that. So Mm. thank you. Yeah. I mean, people said it was courageous. And for me, it was just, I can remember thinking, this is just, if I don't do this now, you know, then when? But I did have moments where I said, I remember I was saying to someone, you know, why didn't I just go quietly? Why didn't I? You know, I could have just gone quietly. And she said, you know, you've created a national debate. But you sort of, at the time, you sort of, all I could yeah. see was all the, all the yeah. stuff that was being thrown around. But anyway. Well, thank you, Julia, mm. for doing that. Because yeah. there were many of us who deeply appreciated the fact that you did it. And it's been so lovely to talk to you and to hear a little bit more. Looking forward to uh, reading the, the book. book. Absolutely. <laughs> I will devour it. Yeah, it's been a pleasure, Julia. And um, I, again, thank you for everything you've done, not just for women in Australia, though that is incredibly important and you've done a heap, but also for our parliament in mm. general because that toxic culture isn't good for any of us, whatever our gender. Yeah, yeah, total, totally agree and and I'm sure we'll get it right in our lifetime. I'm absolutely sure with amazing women like you and all the amazing women in the country, it's incredible. So we're very lucky. Well, we're, we're not taking it lying down anymore. That's no. what they haven't quite yet <laughs> worked it out. Surely it worked out. We do our best. Thanks yeah. so much, Julia. Thanks again. Women with Clout is presented by Jane Caro and Catherine Fox, producer Tina Matanoff, theme music composed and performed by David Beckingham. Listener.